but I'm excited to preach this morning. I feel God has a word for you. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive and it's active. So these are not just words on a page in a history book, but these are the living, breathing words of God. And it's sharper than any double-edged sword. I believe that God has a word for you. It's going to sharpen us today. So are you ready for the word? All right. We are continuing our series, Kingdom Multipliers. Has anyone enjoyed this series so far? Come on, on generosity. So awesome. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8, it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This series is about the power of radical generosity. Not just generosity, but radical generosity. And I'm going to give you the definition of radical this morning. It means very different from the usual or traditional. Radical generosity, very different from the usual or traditional. A synonym to radical means extreme. And we believe that God is leading us into a new level of unusual, untraditional, and extreme generosity to move the kingdom of God forward. Now, it's important to understand in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is Paul who is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's encouraging them to be generous. And the way that he encourages them to be generous is in one chapter before this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, Paul tells them about the Macedonian churches. The Macedonian churches were extremely poor, yet extremely generous. So what we're about to read is Paul describing the Macedonian churches and how generous they were. I believe it's going to help us in our generosity today. Amen? Open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's where we're going to be today. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this, Lord's, uh, in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, verse 7, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul's telling the Corinthian church, you excel in everything. 
Let me put it in our world. He's telling church 1132, you excel in everything. Your faith, it's moving mountains. Your prayer life is on fire. Your speech builds and edifies others. Your knowledge is so impressive. You love people like Jesus does. But how is your giving? How is your giving? Have you ever noticed that it's the smallest things in life that are oftentimes the most significant? Think of something like a zipper, right? Seems so small and minute, insignificant, until you have a broken one. Am I right? I have a pair of shoes right now that I cannot wear because the zipper is broken. Women in the room, you will relate to this one. Backings to earrings, so small. If I held it up, you probably wouldn't even be able to see it. I spend so much time trying to find the right backing to an earring because without the right backing, there is no earring. Marshall literally stepped on one uh, last week, and I said, I've been looking for that everywhere. They're so small, but so significant. You think about our phones. This is one of the smallest parts of our phone. This is my son, Sailor. Um, one of the smallest parts of our phone is probably the charging port. Well, Paul is saying that your screen is flawless. Your case is the best that there is. You have the best camera quality. But how is your charging port? How is your giving? You know, giving oftentimes seems like such a small part of our lives, but it is incredibly significant to God. Generosity seems like a small part of our lives, but it is incredibly important to God. In fact, so important that there are more scriptures on generosity than there is about prayer and faith combined. Prayer seems pretty important. Faith seems pretty important. In fact, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yet, there are still more scriptures on generosity and giving, which tells us giving is incredibly significant to God. And he makes it very clear in the Bible that we should give, but he also makes it very clear on how we should give. And for all of the practical people in the room, all of the note takers, this one's for you, okay? I'm going to give you five ways that the Bible tells us how to give. Are you ready? Number one, the Bible tells us to give willingly. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God wants us to give willingly. Number two, cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 also says that God loves a cheerful giver. Whatever God loves, I want to do, and I want to be. And it says that God loves a cheerful giver. We're called to give cheerfully. Number three, to give discreetly. Matthew 6, verse 2 and 5 says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. And then skip down to verse 4. It says, So that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's no better feeling than to give anonymously because you know it is just between you and God. And that's how God wants us to give is discreetly. Number four, we're called to give often. 
Often, 2 Corinthians 9, 11 says you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So the question is never, how much should I give? Or I'm sorry, the question is never, if I should give. The question should always be, how much should I give? Because God already told us to give on every occasion. And lastly, number five, the Bible says to give freely. Freely. Matthew 10, 8 says, freely you have received, now freely give, which means we give with no strings attached. We give expecting nothing in return. It's not a transaction. It's not an exchange. It is I give freely. Those are five ways, just five ways that the Bible tells us how we should give. Now, here's the problem, and here's where I get stuck, okay, is that is much easier said than done, is it not? I could just preach and say this is what we should do and how we should do it. But if we're honest, it is much easier said than done. It is much easier to, easier to listen to a series on generosity than to put it into practice. And God knew that we were going to need a little bit of help in the area of generosity. This is why Paul tells the Corinthian church, he does not say excel in giving. Just give. Just be generous. Excel in your giving. He tells them specifically to excel in the grace of giving. I want to call this message the grace to give. Grace is the supernatural work of God to make us willing and able to do his will. Grace is supernatural empowerment. Grace is holy or divine influence. Now, I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever needed just a little bit of empowerment before? You know the right thing to do. You know what you want to do. You know what needs to be done. You just need a little bit of empowerment. This was me a few weeks ago at our Fall Encounter, which is where we take our youth students to a retreat. And it's an incredible weekend. We have services. They're encountering God. They're playing games, making memories. It is an incredible weekend. Um, but I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Is youth students, middle schoolers specifically, are on another level of energy. And I am trying my best to keep up and to stay awake and to party with them. But I just, I need a little bit of help because my own willpower is just not enough. And this is where I rely on the empowerment of caffeine. Any coffee drinkers in the house? Coffee is my love language. I've been drinking coffee since I was 12 years old. I love coffee. So I start relying on coffee at the beginning of the weekend. Um, but coffee just wasn't cutting it. It was not doing the job. I must have developed some sort of immunity at this point. My adrenal glands are shot. Um, and so I had to, you know, have some extra empowerment. So I may or may not have had a few energy drinks, okay? Now, energy drinks are, they do the job. Let me tell you what, they do the job. Now, I only do them when it's in dire need. I don't drink them a lot, but it does the job. It was the empowerment that I needed to have the energy that I needed. I'm going to tell you this morning that there is a supernatural empowerment that is available that God wants to give you and I to be radically generous. There is a supernatural grace that we can step into that will enable us 
to be extravagantly generous. It's called the grace to give. Paul starts in this passage in the first verse. He says, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Today we're going to talk about three things that the grace to give empowers us to do. Verse 2, it says that in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Number one, the grace to give empowers us to give in the midst of trials. Give in the midst of trials. Many of us wait until after a trial or after a storm to be generous. But the grace that God wants to give you and I will empower us to give in the midst of it. You know, people say the best time to invest in the stock market is when the market is down. I'm going to tell you it's the same way in the kingdom of God. The best time to invest in the kingdom of God is in the midst of a trial. It's in the midst of a storm. It's in the midst of a trial. There's a woman in the Bible um, who exemplified this so beautifully. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but it's titled The Widow's Offering. And what happens in this story is Jesus is sitting in the corner and he's watching people uh, drop donations into the temple treasury. People are lined up giving extravagant gifts, massive amounts of money, massive amounts of money. And then in comes this widow who drops in two mites, which is equivalent to less than one penny today. And Jesus pulls his disciples together, and he honors her for her generosity. And most people emphasize how much she gave. She gave too much. She gave everything that she had. But today, I don't want to just emphasize how much she gave. I want to emphasize when she gave. Because she was a widow, which means her husband had died. She was extremely poor, which means she had no father, sibling, or child to take care of her, so she was alone. She was grieving, she was poor, and she was lonely. That's called a trial. And the Bible says that she didn't wait until she was remarried to give. She didn't wait until she had enough money to give. She gave in the midst of it. Not only did she give everything she had, she gave in the midst of a trial, and Jesus honored her. I want to encourage you today that the grace to give will empower you to give in the midst of a trial. You don't have to wait until you're through a trial or out of a storm or out of a battle to be generous. You can give in the midst of it. The grace to give will empower you to give in the midst of health challenges, in the midst of financial challenges, in the midst of loss, in the midst of our own pain, in the midst of our own disappointment. The grace to give will empower you to give in the midst of trials. And that's exactly what the Macedonian churches did, is they gave in the midst of a trial. Paul continues on in verse 3. He says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now, there are three levels of giving. There is, number one, the tithe, number two, offerings, and number three, extravagant offerings. And extravagant offerings are more than what we are able. In other words, more than what we can afford, more than what makes sense on the calculator, more than what fits in our budget, more than what we can manage, more than what we are able Now, there is one thing in my life that I always said I could never do. There's just no way. I can't. I just, I'm not wired that way. God didn't make me that way. I cannot do it. And that is to give birth to a child with no epidural. 
I just say I couldn't. I just can't. I'm not. This is funny because I know some people in the room that have done it, and I just, I just can't. There's just no way. It's not happening. Um, I have the lowest pain tolerance. I am such a wimp when it comes to pain. I'm saying I can't. I just would not. Okay. I was thinking about this, and honestly, I was thinking I would probably survive. Probably. I mean, I might be traumatized, but I would survive. <laughs> women have been doing it for generations. Thousands and thousands of women have done it. I probably could. The truth is, I just don't want to. I just don't want to. And oftentimes, we hide behind, I can't give that much, when really we just don't want to give that much. I can't afford it. No, I just, and for a valid reason, because there's fear involved. Because when we give more than what we can afford, more than what fits in our budget, that is a scary place to live. Because we think this, what about me? What about, what if an emergency happens? What about our electricity bill, our water bill? You know, what if we have to make an emergency room visit? I mean, we think, what about us? Last month, we had our Dream Center annual gala where we're raising money for our Dream Center. And we're taking uh, donations at the end. And Marshall and I are texting at the table, how much do you feel led to give? How much do you think? He goes, how much do you? I say, you go first. And so he tells me a number. And my immediate thought was, we can't afford that. And he goes, I know. That's just what God put on my heart. I said, we're on the drive home. And I, I'm the pastor here. And I say, we can't do that. There's no way. We can't afford that. What if we have to go to the emergency room? What about this, this, this? What about our savings? We're trying, you know, the whole thing. So we give an offering, but not the extravagant offering. God keeps whispering to me after this every day. And I just, you know how we do. We just, shh, 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 you just keep on moving on. Keep on praying for other things. Keep on going about your life, building the kingdom of God. While he's whispering in your ear, and I just keep on just shoving it. Well, a few weeks later, we're in a staff meeting, and our lead pastor is talking about fear to us. And uh, he says this specifically, that if God's asked you to do something and fear is the only thing stopping you, fear is not from God, and you need to do it. <laughs> I text Marshall, we need to talk. He thinks we're in a fight. I get home that night. He's like, so what do you want to talk about? I said, so um, you know that, that uh, figure that you sent on Dream Center Gala Night? I said, what, what do you think about that? He said, I still feel peace about it. I was like, oh, my goodness, are you serious? I'm the only one <laughs> who has doubt and fear here. My biggest hesitation was fear. What about our needs being met? This is what stops most of us from giving extravagantly and giving beyond our ability is fear of what about our needs being met. I want to share with you a scripture, Philippians 4.19, which is a promise from God. It says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply every one of your needs. That means that you can never outgive God. 
You can never outgive God because he promises to take care of you. And I just want to speak over you today that God will supply every one of your needs. Every one of your needs, God will supply it. It is not hard for him. And if you're feeling stressed or worried or you have fear of what about our needs getting met, God will supply every one of your needs. Every one of your needs. So let's never let fear of, I can't afford that, stop us from giving what God has asked us to give. I can't give that much. I'm pretty sure Peter didn't think he could walk on water until he actually stepped out and did it. If you step out, you watch how God provides for you. You watch what God does for you, how he supplies for your needs. The Macedonian churches gave beyond their ability. And verse 4, Paul continues, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. This is so beautiful to me because if you can picture the Macedonian churches who are extremely poor, they have nothing and they are pleading with Paul for the privilege of sharing in this Lord's service. They're saying, Paul, let us give, let us help, let us invest. It was a privilege to them. The grace to give, number three, will empower us to see giving as a privilege. Giving as a privilege. Giving is a privilege and not an obligation. We do not have to give, but we get to give. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 tells us that when we give to the kingdom of God, we are investing into heaven. We are making eternal impact. And there is no greater honor and no greater privilege than to make eternal impact. It was 1994 when um, our founding pastors, Pastor Steve and Lisa Collins, founded our church. And they met for many years with no permanent building. It was uh, 2004 when God spoke to them and said, it is time to believe for a permanent building. They got out a map and they asked Pastor Steve, where would you want to be? He pointed close to this property and said, this is where I would want to be. It was a very difficult time to buy at that point. So there was no options at all. It seemed hopeless. Well, God started working behind the scenes and got them connected with the previous owner of uh, the building right across the courtyard, which is our small building where kids are meeting right now. The previous owner was a pastor, got Pastor Steve connected, and that pastor gave Pastor Steve and Lisa the opportunity to buy that property before it even went on the market. Miracle number one. Miracle number two was going to be the church having to raise $400,000 within one month to purchase the property. That is a faith step. So Pastor Steve brings it before the church. Pastor Steve said that the church was about 150 people at the time. He brings it before the church. He said that the church rallied in such a way. They gave so sacrificially. He said there were families who pulled out of retirement families who pulled out of savings, families who gave up vacations. He said there was one woman who put her wedding ring in the offering. They gave so sacrificially beyond their ability, many of them probably in a trial. And it was a miracle by the grace of God, they were able to raise all of the funds to buy our very first permanent building as a church. In 2006, we bought that small building. It was not what it's like right now, but it was because of the generosity 
the, the sacrificial giving of 150 people. God starts to breathe on the church. We start meeting in there Sundays, Wednesday nights for youth, and God's just breathing on it. A few years later, in would walk in to youth on a Wednesday night, a teenage girl who is an atheist, broken, addicted, insecure, thinks her life is completely worthless. She would encounter God in that building. She would get saved and set free. And then she would be standing on this stage years later preaching the word of God to you. Do you know why? Do you know why I was able to encounter God in that building and my life was forever changed? It was possible because of the sacrificial generosity, the radical generosity of 150 people. Many of them I probably have never met, but we underestimate. We underestimate what God can do with our generosity. When we give, listen, we are not giving to a building. We are not giving to a campaign. We are not giving to an event. We're not giving to anything tangible. We are giving to provide an opportunity for the lost to meet Jesus. It's making eternal impact. It's making eternal impact. It's investing into heaven. And I... We may never know the impact our generosity makes on earth. I believe when we get into heaven, we'll be able to see and meet people who are there because of our generosity. Can't wait to thank all the people, the woman who gave her wedding ring and their vacation. I was saved because of that. I believe in 10, 15, 20 years, we'll be able to see families who are saying, we gave our lives to Jesus in the Dream Center drive through line. Thank you for your generosity. I believe we're going to be standing in the Dream Center Dallas building when it's completely restored and thousands of people are meeting there and people are saved and set free from drug addiction and restored and set up back on their feet, walking in their purpose, and they'll be able to say, thank you, Church 1132, for your generosity. I believe one day we'll be able to meet people who said, because Church 1132 bought that mobile pregnancy unit, my mom did not abort me, but I was able to be born and live a life. Why? Because of your generosity. It makes eternal impact. This is not about a building or an event. This is about filling heaven. It makes eternal impact. And that is the greatest privilege, the greatest honor, never an obligation. Oh, I have to tithe. No, thank you, God, that I'm able to be a part of what you're doing. I'm able to be a part. It is a privilege and an honor. I want to encourage you every time you give, whether it be to an individual or you tithe or you give to 14.7, to pray and say, God, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of what you're doing. Thank you for the privilege of providing a space for people to encounter you. So the question is this morning, how do we receive the grace to give? I want to have this supernatural grace, this supernatural ability, but how do I receive it? How do I walk in it? Well, verse 5 says that the Macedonian churches gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. 
The grace to give is a result of a surrendered life. It's a result of surrender. Surrender means to cease resistance and to submit to one's authority. Surrender is giving up control to God. Surrender is a mentality that says my life is not my own. Because the truth is, if our lives are not surrendered to God, our money won't be surrendered to God. If our hearts are not surrendered to God, our finances won't be surrendered to God. It is a result of a surrendered life that says, God, my life is not my own. Nothing that I have is my own. I am yours. I am surrendered. One of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides. That is God's name. That is God's title. And what happens is we take on that title on ourselves. And we say, I'm my own provider. I take care of me. I take care of my family. The problem with that is that is too heavy and big of a weight for us to carry. Remember when I was little, I went uh, to play laser tag for the first time. And I was so little, and you know, they give you these backpacks and these guns, and it swallowed me just consume me. It was so big and heavy on me. The game started and I start running around, but I, I can't play anymore because um, it's hurting my shoulders too bad. So I sit in the corner and I'm sulking. And one of the workers who's probably, you know, I thought he was huge. He's probably a 16 year old boy at the time. Comes up to me, he says, what's wrong? I said, I can't play. It's too heavy. He said, give it to me. So he takes on the backpack. He gives me the gun. And we are running around, and I had the time of my life shooting people, and we were a team. It was amazing. I had so much fun because I stopped carrying a weight that was too heavy for me to carry. And God's saying, you being your own provider and your own master and your own boss and your own God is too heavy of a weight for you to carry. And this morning, God is asking for us to surrender to him. Surrender it. Leonard Ravenhill says this. He says, the perennial challenge of the believer is to come down from the cross and to save yourself. It's to come down from a surrendered life and say, I'm my own boss, I'm my own master, I'm my own God, I'm my own provider. But God never meant for us to live that way. It's too heavy of a weight for you and I to carry. We are called to live surrendered lives. Surrendered lives. The grace to give is a result of surrender. When you say, God, I surrender my life to you, generosity will be a product of that. It'll just come naturally when you live a surrendered life. God, my money is not mine. Nothing I have is mine. I wouldn't even be here without you. I am yours. It's from a surrendered life. I believe God's asking us to surrender today.